Well, I, uh, I actually got a, uh, I never sit on a stool, but because I can be, Mr. I can be pretty preachery. But I just got a stool because I'm going, hey, I think this, the content that we're going to engage over the next few weeks is important. And I want to make sure that we have a really settled heart about it. So I was like, how can I be settled? And I was like, I just need to sit down. Okay, so I'm sitting down, uh, at least for a little bit. And then I'll probably pop up here. But uh, this, this topic would be incredibly easy to venture into uh, political territory where this is a, about a, a kind of a political reality and I, I absolutely, a political leaning, a hot button topic, uh, trying to press into things that are either popular or unpopular. I don't have any desire to do that whatsoever. What I do want to do in this series is I want, I want our aim to be what is the heart of God with matters of anger with matters of justice? What do we see from the scripture so that we can hold his heart and then we can reflect that heart? So that's what we're aiming to do. And as our culture shifts and as it changes for the better and for the worse, as there are ebbs and flows, I want us to be able to put our feet on a rock. And I think it's the most important thing is to anchor ourselves in the word because everything in this moment, everything in our lives right now is not a rock. Everything, right? Between a pandemic and social unrest and political strife and ecological messes everywhere, whether it's hurricanes or fires or whatever's going on, it just feels like if you, everywhere you look outside of Jesus, it's chaos this is just only one place to anchor ourselves down. And ultimately, that can, it can weigh on us if we keep our vision out and not looking at Jesus. And so we'll not be able to cover all the nuances and all the intricacies of this particular conversation, certainly not in three 30-minute windows on a Sunday morning. But I do want to specifically address this age of outrage that we're experiencing this, specifically the cancel culture that is incredibly prevalent in our world today. And so here's the question. One, what is cancel culture, right? It is the practice of calling out, withdrawing support, and public shaming of someone or an organization for perceived objectionable or offensive behavior that they have perpetrated at some point in time in their lives, and it is often marked with rage or outrage. That's what's taking place. It's becoming the norm that if anybody fails in any particular way, I don't care where you're at on the, or it doesn't matter where you're at on the political spectrum, doesn't matter what the issue can be. This is, uh, this is all humans are subject to this in this moment. And so how does cancel culture actually work? What's taking place? Well, here's what happens. Number one, someone fails in a particular way. I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine somebody failing because <laughs> we've never done that, right? Okay. All right, somebody fails and we go aghast, right? And, and, and by the way, they don't fail, maybe just like today, but maybe they failed 30 years ago and somebody fails, okay? And then two we call out their failure and we publicly shame them, especially on social media, for their faults. We could probably shame them in a conversation, but it's most likely happening in social media where we find like, hey, here's my outlet to the world. 
I've got 62 followers. So I'm going to let everybody know. So I'm going to shame them. Then what we do is we rally other people to join us in shaming someone for their faults. And then what happens is a groundswell of anger and rage begins to burn against this person. And then the offender is written off to be ostracized, canceled, or forgotten. This is the rhythm of where our culture is sitting right now. That's, that's what's taking place. Now, there's all kinds of problems we could unpack with that. A couple of just real base realities here that it's important for us to understand is that the definition of objectionable and offenses is incredibly, and offensive is incredibly subjective, right? There, there are however many, is seven and a half billion people? That means there are seven and a half billion opinions potentially on, on what is offensive or objectionable, right? So that anybody can be drawn into outrage at any moment, no matter what. And then secondly, there's often a severe lack of information that there's not always understanding, right? You hear something and then somebody jumps on something and it's like, hey, let's all pile on in a moment without actually having all the information or knowing fully the story, right? Essentially guilty without any opportunity to find out what's actually taking place. So it's, this is kind of what's, uh, what's happening right now. Now, there's example, all kinds of different examples we could even get into, right? There are Right now, celebrities or athletes get canceled because of something they say or something that they said when they were young at some point in time. Uh, there are organizations that are being canceled due to, again, objectionable content or uh, objectionable stances that, that, uh, that they might take. An example is Chick-fil-A is uh, often been, some people are trying to cancel Chick-fil-A because of their perception that they're not inclusive of all people. That's one example of a kind of canceling. Although, candidly, I can't imagine anything worse to try to cancel than Chick-fil-A chicken. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, there's a lot of things you could try to come against, but nobody wants, I mean, you go like, hey, let's, let's cancel the mac and cheese, but not the chicken sandwiches. Let's keep those, right? All right. No? No, oh, yeah, we don't cancel mac and cheese either. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. So I wanted to try to cancel the mac and cheese. I don't know. You can't cancel the waffle fries. That's for dang sure, right? Okay. But listen, that's one example, right, of, of people trying to cancel something. Another is uh, even very, and very, very recently, uh, uh, there was a show that was put on Netflix uh, that has objectionable material and there's a groundswell to cancel Netflix. There's literally a hashtag going and cancel Netflix because of uh, the perception of uh, a, a show that they put on. We'll get into that in a little bit here. But these are examples of either, those are, those are kinds of organizations we might try to cancel. And again, the canceling can happen no matter where you land on the political reality. That's just what's happening. Uh, we certainly see this with politicians. And now this, this extends all the way back to our founding fathers, to current political leaders being canceled because of a stance or a lack of stance on any given issue. So we'll see this again. So you, uh, politicians are the easiest targets because they have these massive public records and they stand as public servants. And so they're easy targets. So this happened, right? The most recent was a Supreme Court nomination, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, and the allegation uh, of his uh, uh, an assault against by Christi Christine Blasey Ford. And so on both sides, there was a massive 
ang- I mean, rage and anger was boiling. In fact, I'm not even sorry for bringing it up, right? It's like, did you have to bring that one up? Because it was just so painful. You think, you think back on that, if you're keeping up with the news, like it didn't matter where you land on the political spectrum, it was painful. It was hurtful. It was hard to walk through and all the rage surrounding it. So again, it doesn't matter where you land on this thing. There's this groundswell of rage that's happening based on the faults of other people. And so it's easy to point at organizations and that kind of thing. When we start to look at individuals, it has a completely different meaning when we start thinking about rage against people. And the deeper issue that I'm even addressing here for us, even over this series, is the fact that this mentality is weaving its way into the church. And the way in which the church is meant to or supposed to operate. And that the church is often seen as propagating or promoting the cancel culture in the name of righteousness. And that's a scary thing, or I'd I'd propose to you, that's a scary thing for us. And is this supposed to be the mark of God's people, the followers of Jesus? And so I want to be clear before we dive into this subject that there are, without question, realities in our culture that are gross and vile, and they need to be addressed, all right? Even over the next two weeks, we're going to deal with biblical anger and biblical justice. Okay, we're going to deal with these issues. But when it comes to issues like the systematic annihilation of infants in the womb, when it comes to prejudices and hatred and degradation of another person because of the color of their skin, or because even of their economic status for which they are a part, because I think there is evidence for as much prejudice against social classes rich against poor and poor against rich, as there are in in many of the other ways we see prejudices in our culture. When it comes to systematic exploitation and degradation of women through pornography and sexual slavery, and those are things that need to be addressed. When it comes to the global subjugation of people who are starving and do not have shelter or homes all across the earth, there are things in which Uh, need to be addressed and looked at, and the church is meant to have a voice. The question is, how do we go about doing that? That's the question. And is the cancel culture and the age of rage the right way to go about doing it? There are many things to be righteously angry about, and we'll talk more about that next week. And we want to see true justice take place. But there is a right, a biblical, a spirit-inspired way to go about doing this. And I think it's necessary for us to hold the heart of God uh, and his in obedience to it. So the question is this, how do we respond to the cancel culture? How do we respond to this? So uh, do you remember when, if, if you grew up in Sunday school, if you were a kid, and the teacher asked you a question, and you weren't sure what to say, 85% of the time, a great answer was, what is it? Jesus. Jesus, right? You were like, if you were like, if the teacher called on you in Sunday school, and they were like, ask you a question, and you weren't even listening to the question, you were like, 85%, Jesus, that's the answer, that's good, I'm good, I'm covered, I think that's, and the teacher, what's the teacher gonna say? No, you're wrong, and they're gonna be like, well, maybe that's kind of, yeah, that's close, right? So if I ask this question, how do we respond to the cancel culture? 
categorically, I just want to say, Jesus is the answer to this question, okay? Is the answer. So here's what I want you to do. In your Bibles, I want you to look at John chapter 8, because we're going to watch Jesus right in the middle of a cancel culture moment. He's in it, and he's in the middle of it, and he's going to totally turn it upside down, and I love Jesus for being Jesus, all right? We'll just leave it at that. John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus comes to the, again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right. Here is what we have is a definitive cancel culture moment, right? A woman is caught in the middle of adultery. It's scandalous. It's painful. It's embarrassing. And what she's done is wrong. And if you have a spouse or even can imagine a future spouse, you know how painful this would be to not only be discovered, but then to be thrown out in front of the entire world around you. And of course, it's not, not just, of course, painful for this woman, but everyone that's associated with her. And at first glance, what it seems like is this is this cancel culture moment trying to come against this woman to attack her for her failure, right? That's what it looks like. And of course, the answer, the way that they want to answer this in this cancel culture moment is we're going to stone her, right? Now, on the spectrum of like the cancel culture reality, getting booed off of Twitter is bad. Uh, on the scale of being stoned, that's like really bad. Okay, let me just take you there. Okay, this is cancel culture to the nth degree. Okay, and they want to wipe her out. But here is the issue. What, ha what do we find out in verse 6? What does it tell us, right? They come to Jesus. They say, teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Uh, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And then look at what verse 6 verse six says. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Here's the truth. They aren't trying to cancel the woman. They're trying to cancel Jesus. This is what's happening. And I think it's this is an incredibly uh, clear uh, moment. Because they don't actually care about the real law. Just for clarity, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22, where the law comes from, guess who's responsible to be stoned in an, an adulterous situation? Not just the woman, the woman and the man. The guy's nowhere to be found here. 
believe you me, they're not, not for two seconds is this actually about the heart of God or the law. What they're trying to do is cancel Jesus. And that's what we see from verse six. And so they're not bringing the guy, they're, they're not bringing the guy. What they're trying to do is this. Here's what they're trying to do. Jesus, where do you stand politically? That's what they're actually trying to do. In fact, they're trying to cancel Jesus on his political affiliation. They're trying to go, do you stand with us and the law and God? Or do you stand with the Romans who've now taken over, uh, they've taken over capital jurisdiction, right? So uh, the Jews don't get to exercise their own law anymore, right? The Romans are ruling over them. They've taken over capital jurisdiction and they're going, are you going to side with what the law, what God says and what Moses says? Are you going to give yourself over to the Romans? And they're trying to put him, this is how they're testing him to say, who do you stand for? It's this incredibly clear moment, by the way, that I think what we'll see in the cancel culture all the time, all the time, is that whatever we're raging about is not what's actually going. There's an, Im an immense amount of hypocrisy going on. That we can be raging about something here, but there's something going on in a different place. And this is what's happening all over the world around, around right now. And so what does Jesus say to this scenario, seeking to cancel this woman? Right? He says, let him who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. So you don't have sin, then go for it. And so, now, it's really important to understand. Is Jesus saying that the only judge could, that there could possibly be is one without sin? Well, the answer, of course, is no, right? We, we have judges all over who have to make decisions. These are flawed individuals, even in our own culture today, certainly in Jesus' culture. Is that what he's saying, that no one could be a judge unless you are perfectly sinless? That's not, what he's, that's not what he's trying to say, right? We need righteous judges to execute healthy justice, okay? That's not what he's going after. What is he actually saying? And this is, this is the point we're trying to get to with this whole thing. What is he trying to say? Is that he's saying the rightness that you are seeking after is not going to be found by slamming people for how badly they've messed up. The rightness that you're looking for, the righteousness that you want to see take place is not going to happen by slamming the one who's broken and mess and in, in a mess. The rightness, you'll see rightness begin to take place when people have a profound encounter with the grace of God. This is what Jesus wants everyone to see here in this moment. If you want to see rightness on the increase, it will not come by shaming and degrade. Thank you. That's the word degrading. It's third grade language. We'll get there. Not by degrading someone, not by slamming someone, not by shaming someone. If you want to see righteousness on the increase, people need to come up under the weight of the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's what, church, hear this. That is what we are meant to introduce people into. That is what the call is on the church that the primary problem with the cancel culture is not that, that they want to hold people accountable for wrong actions. That needs to happen in all of our lives. 
We need to be held accountable for when we make poor choices, especially those that hurt other people. That's not the problem. The problem is that instead of calling and seeing others restored from a broken past, it wants to shame and annihilate them for it. Those are two fundamentally different aims when we start talking about dealing with the wrongs and the ills of the culture that we live in. Is the aim to annihilate and destroy or is the aim to see brokenness restored? This is the full question. Because the idea of shaming someone into changing is not who our God is. That's not who he is in heaven. It is not the attitude the church is meant to carry. And so my concern is that the church would mimic the outrage culture in an attempt to uphold righteousness rather than come with authentic, broken-hearted hope to see people crash into the grace of God. That is the point of being a follower of Jesus in this hour is to help point people to the massive grace of God, right? And it's so beautiful how Jesus handles this, right? Because he does not excuse the wrongdoing. He calls it up into new life. Jesus stood up, verse 10, stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Where's the cancel culture now? And she says, no one, no one's standing to cancel me anymore. And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The call to righteousness in her life came through an encounter with the grace of God. Not the excusing of sin. Not the excuse. Listen, there are things that do not need to be excused in our world. They need to be called up into holiness and righteousness. It's what, through the grace of God, that's what we were meant to be, is to have broken, to be a brokenhearted people that help call people into repentance and forgiveness, to call people into his family. This is the aim of every one of us that would call themselves followers of Jesus. It's entirely possible that you stand here and feeling as if you have been canceled that you've got a broken past in some way, form, or fashion that you feel like you cannot get over, that you've been canceled by other people or canceled by those that even you thought loved you or canceled because of your past. You might be dealing even right now with an incredibly broken part of your life. And the work of Jesus on the cross is the Father's loving way to rescue you and me from being canceled to be able to restore us with new life and new identity and new hope for our future. Rather than being canceled and kicked to the curb, being restored to a new life. That is the gospel, right? The gospel is this. Jesus was canceled for you so that you never have to be canceled again. To be brought into newness of life, into hope. The church cannot be swept up, listen, into a culture of anger and vengeance as its primary mark. That's not where we're headed. We can't let this weave itself. No matter where you stand on the political spectrum or ideology, 
the church, the word of God is the definitive voice over our lives. We've got to come in agreement and into alignment. So we first display the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God. We uphold his justice and righteousness, but we put down the self-righteous judgment that marks the cancel culture of 2020. That's what we put down. We're going to uphold righteousness and justice, but we're going to put down self-righteousness and put that away, all right? And so the question is then, how do we respond when someone's failed? How do we respond? Uh, and here, so I just give us a few questions. Here's how we respond, and we'll finish up this morning. Number one, am I broken over the situation or the sin that's been exposed? Do I feel broken over it? That's the first question. How do I feel about this? Am I feeling sadness and brokenness over it? Am I quick to rush immediately to judgment? Number two, and I think this is so incredibly important, that when we see someone broken in sin or someone in their own failure, the next question we've got to ask is, am I broken over my sin? Am I broken over my sin and my own brokenness, right? Matthew 7, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but, not, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Meaning Jesus has a rhythm for us. When we see brokenness, we got to ask the question, are we broken for our own sin, over our own sin? And then finally, am I inclined to stand in judgment or am I inclined to pray for repentance and restoration? I think these are three really important questions before you post anything online. And I'm not here to say that you can't post something online or you shouldn't take a stance on something. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think the, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a heart that first wants to hear what Jesus has to say over a person before we weigh in on a matter? Right, because Jesus' followers don't throw stones. Jesus' followers don't throw stones. We pray, we invite, we intercede. That before we post anything negative about a person, it's incumbent upon us to pray and ask, what is God's heart? To ask that question, right? The revealed will of God is that we're not out to cancel people. God's out to restore people. We'll stand for righteousness. Just in fact, again, over the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about anger. We're gonna talk about justice. But we gotta stop at this, the place of self-righteousness and ask the Lord. You guys stand with me. We wanna ask the Lord that question, Lord, do I have your heart first and foremost?